Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 and 13 today. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. May the Lord add his richest blessings to the reading of his word. You may be seated. One commentator noted this. It is as a child obeys that he knows what it truly means to learn to worship God. It is the parent's responsibility to worship God and obey him. Only when the child sees the worship of the parents will he come to learn who God is and what is required of him. End quote. Parents, you and I can't teach what we don't believe. God is a holy and righteous God, and all sin must be punished. If we grow up or teach our children as they grow up to think that they are angels, you're going to struggle. It's not that our little ones are not a joy to be around. It's not that we enjoy raising them. But we must remind them as they grow up that their first and primary need that they will ever have in life is not money. It's not fame. It's a savior. That's why we celebrate Christmas. You know, I'm surprised. Abigail, there she is. Uh, Abigail's uh, where where she works she was telling us about some of the things that people have come to buy and and there's this year seems to be that one of the uh, primary items that people like buying for Christmas is Grinch stuff I mean that's about like having Ebenezer Scrooge in your front yard but people buy these things because somehow they think that it reminds them of Christmas and yet They don't want to remember the babe in a manger who grew to go to the cross. Further, parents and grandparents, it's important that we remember that if we teach our children that they are innocent and that they have no sin, we are not only deluding ourselves, we are deluding them and we are calling God a liar. For God says that all have sinned, all have a sin nature, and all deserve death. Now, yes, this is a wonderful time of the year. I mean, after all, there's a song that even tells us this is the most wonderful time of the year. And we like Christmas. We like the songs. We like the tinsel. We like seeing the lights. We like seeing all of the decorations. But how often do we actually spend time looking at the old rugged cross at Christmas? Today we live in a, I'll just say, a horrible world. There are some good things, yes. But one of the things that we find today as compared to previous generations is that children today seem to have little respect for parents. Now, maybe none of you have ever noticed that. But go to a place like Walmart. 
or target. And see the lack of respect that children have for parents. I want that. I have to have that. If I don't get that, if I don't get my way, what ends up happening? Temper tantrums. This last week, I believe it was in Dallas, Texas. It was somewhere around the Dallas, Texas area. Some of you may have seen the news where a boy decided that he was going to get upset at his mom because she didn't buy him a prior or a pre-Christmas present, which was a game that he wanted to play on one of his electronic devices. He went into the room, into the parents' room, got a pistol, and killed his mom. Twelve years old. Children don't have to be taught those things that we look at and we think, oh, I'm glad that's not our children. The reality is that if we're not careful, if we don't teach our children to have respect for God, given the opportunity, our children, just like we would have done, we will do those things that we see in the news. Every year I am appalled and I have collected items or I have collected articles down through the years of people who, and it normally starts the day after Thanksgiving. Black Friday. It should be called Black Friday for a reason. If any of you read the news this even this year, just a couple of weeks ago, there are actually people who died on Black Friday just trying to get a $20 discount on a TV or whatever it is that they wanted. They were trampled to death in the store. Why? Because we are not being taught that it is important that we simply accept what God gives us from his provisions as being enough. It's like we have to have more than that. Take a little child and sit them down and you can fill the room with all kinds of toys. They'll get to the last toy, they'll unwrap it and they will look around and they'll say, is that all? Where's the rest of it? Watch little ones interact with their parents and a large part of the problem is that there is no discipline on the part of the parents. You see, we as parents sometimes, we're taught this by our education system, we're taught this by the media, we're taught this in just about every area of life. We have learned to categorize the sin of our children. Well, that's not as bad as that. That's not as bad as that. Here recently, a few months ago, again, you may remember, there was an incident where there were four young people who were all teenagers in the early years of their teens, four of them, who murdered some people in their little town. This was somewhere over on the East Coast. I can't remember where it was. And without one exception, all the parents stood in front of the cameras and said, but my boy is a good boy. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. In the last days, perilous or troublesome times will come. Men will be lovers of their own selves. Boy, you hear that every day. You have to love yourself before you can love anybody else. Covetous, boasters, 
proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents? Does it sound like the front page of the newspaper? Truce breakers are unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, false accusers, incontinent, fears, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such, Paul tells Timothy, turn away. Unfortunately, we too often, even in evangelical circles, we have come to a point where we have simply bought into whatever the world offers. But Paul reminds us we're to turn away from that. We are to be different. We are to show to the world that we are strangers and pilgrims just passing through this world on to the next. Children today are growing up with no morals. The depravity that you used to hear about in colleges now extends to junior high and younger. Children are taught that they have the right to control every aspect of their lives. We heard here recently about a country, because we're online, I can't talk about it, but if you were here when one of our missionaries came, you will remember that in this particular country, down to eight years old, if the eight-year-old decides that they want to be a boy and they were born a girl or vice versa, and the parents don't agree, the parents lose all rights to the children and they are then raised by the state. And if you think that's a one-off for that particular country, you are not reading the news. Europe and America have some of the highest teen and pre-teen pregnancy rates in the Western world, and it is only going to get worse with sex education now mandated down to five years old. There's little hope for our generation apart from Jesus Christ. Amen. And the reason is because I believe parents have failed to teach and to live the commands of God. The fifth command is no longer valid when Johnny or Susie see dad and mom have no concern to obey the first four. Why should they worry about God when... Those who are the authority over them disdain the author of the law that God has given. You see, our, we can't expect our children, what's the saying? Do as I say, not as I do. We're going to get in trouble with our kids if that's the way we are raising them. So let's look at this fifth command briefly this morning. God demands obedience. Let's read verse 12 again. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. God demands obedience from all of us. And the problem is, though, that we are separated. We are born separated from a holy God. I believe that parents who fail to understand this truth will be careless with this truth. Again, children need to be taught. And if you miss anything else this morning, this has nothing to do with being a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Methodist or a Catholic or anything else. This is about being biblical, but children need a Savior if you miss anything else today. 
That's the greatest gift a child could have, could ever receive, is to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that their sins are forgiven and that they will never have to face the wrath of God. Our first thought should be to point to the holiness of God with our children, our our grandchildren, because if they are not saved, they're going to spend an eternity apart from God. These gifts that we are given, what does the Bible say? Children are in heritage of the Lord. They're gifts. You only get them for a short time. You know, we are the only, we are the only created beings that have our children for as long as we do. And we are the only created beings that are given one responsibility as parents, and that is to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Woe to the parent who withholds these truths from their children. Many parents mistake freedom of choice for love, though. Well, I love my children, but I want them to be able to make their own decision. If we truly love our children with a Christ-like love, then we will be praying to God, we will be begging Him that God will grant them favor and mercy. Young people, just because mom and dad are Christians doesn't make you a Christian. You have to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ on your own, recognizing that you are indeed a sinner. Israel was told to keep the law. They had it in front of their eyes. They would wear these little things right up here. They would wear a phylactery on their arm. And it had a little box on it and it would have, they would wrap these around and it would have little verses that were written on little pieces of parchment or skin and it would be a reminder to them to obey the law of God. It was in front of their eyes. It was on their arms. It was on the doorposts of their homes and they still rebelled against God. What an admonition that we in the church age we fail if we do not have regular consistent times of devotion and worship within our own families and with with ourselves between us and God firstly we see obedience to parents to disobey gives dishonor to God and to parents but how are children to obey Let's have some of the young people help out here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And it is only in the Lord that they will find the strength to be able to obey God. Only when their hearts are in submission to the Lord and to His Word will a child be submissive to God-given authority. I have shared this with our, with our girls. I shared this with my boys. I'm sure my parents shared it with me when I was growing up. The older you get, the more rules there are. You know, the kids complain because, well, the rules consist of do your schoolwork, do your, home, or do your homework, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. That's just a couple extras there for you. And then maybe a few other chores. And then you get to high school and you want to go out and you get a driver's license. Then you find you've got an entire book to tell you what to do. And then you get out of high school and you go off to college or you go to work and they have an entire employee's manual 
that you have to follow, otherwise you could be fired. Young people, learn to obey your parents today as it is unto the Lord. For then, when you're in submission to the Lord, will you be willing to give submission to God-given authority in your lives? Parents, when we learn to love the laws that govern us and know that they are not meant with the intention of making life difficult, then it'll be easier to be able to teach our children that. Years ago when I was in high school, I was in ninth or 10th grade, we used to get these little, uh, we, we had these uh, uh, little booklets that we had for Sunday school class. And every week we would have a little, do you remember what they were called? They were like a little handout that was given to uh, everybody. It was a little story. There was a little story that was a moral story, something that was expected uh, that we would take. and. And, and then the story, I remember reading this one account of this boy and they're going out and, and every time the boy turned around, the father was lying. He was lying to the authorities. He would lie to the policeman when he got stopped and talk, try to talk his way out of a ticket and he was cheating on his taxes and went through a whole list of things that the father was doing. And one day the father gets a call. The father and mother get a call from the police and they say, we want you to know that your son's been arrested. You need to come down to the police station. And the first words out of their mouth in this little story were, but we don't understand. We raised him to be a good Christian. Parents, you and I have a responsibility to capture the hearts of our sinful, rebellious children. We don't like thinking about that. But if there are no rules and laws that are put in place for our children, they will continue to push and push and push. Because children, just like parents, have to have rules. There has to be somewhere to be able to stop. If you cross this boundary, you will break the law. If the law is not obeyed, then there must be a penalty. Proverbs says that the rod of correction will drive foolishness from the child, but parents, it is not to be used in anger. We are to show forth the relationship that God has with his children. God never punishes his children. He does discipline them, but he doesn't punish. You see, the problem we have is that there are a lot of people who like to think that everybody is a child of God. Doesn't matter how you live. Maybe some are just on a different path. But again, the Bible is very clear that God's children are only those who have placed their faith in Him. If you have never come to the point where you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone to be able to get you to heaven, you're not on the right path. And the purpose with discipline is to restore fellowship, not to drive us away in fear of His wrath and anger. You see, wrath and anger is reserved for the unbeliever. I don't get up in the morning now at 55 years old almost. I don't get up in the morning and live my day in fear that my dad's going to walk next door and spank me. <laughs> Those days are past. But you know what I learned from that time? 
I learned to obey authority. I learned to do it with a good heart attitude. And there was a time at some point in my life when I was a teenager that I learned to stop fearing the spanking and I learned to start fearing the breaking of the relationship that I would have with my dad. That's the way you and I need to be. We should come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be afraid that the wrath of God will fall on us. But when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 is very clear. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to fear that anymore. Now, there are times when we do things we're not supposed to do. There are times when we don't follow authority. There are times when when we make wrong decisions. There are times maybe when we are caught up in some kind of sin within our lives. What do we do? We don't drive down the road afraid that God's going to send a bolt of lightning and kill us in our car. The Bible says we confess our sins because He is faithful. He is just. He forgives us of our sins. And He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. That's the wonder of salvation. Only God can offer that. Children become wise by listening to instruction. When your children are growing up, well, maybe your children were different, but when I was growing, or when our children were growing up, we didn't sit them down when they were about a year and a half or two years old and say, okay, today we're going to have a lesson in how to steal a cookie. They just seem to do it automatically, don't they? But as they grow, we teach them the Word of God and we teach them the importance, not just don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, but why should they not do that? Because it is an affront to the holiness of God. You know what that does? That takes the responsibility off of you as far as the kids are concerned if we are pointing them to the reality that God is going to judge sin. The Bible is clear that a wise child is a joy to his parents like the jewels that grace the neck of a lady. But an unruly child brings shame and reproach and resembles more of a jewel in a pig's nose. Obedience to authority. A child cannot expect God's blessing in the later days of life if they have rejected the earlier days. God knew their Hebrews were rebellious, that they would keep rejecting his law. And the law gave them a constant reminder of the physical blessing. I will bless them that bless me and will curse those who curse me. And I want to say this, there's no guarantee that just because your children are obedient that they will live to grow old. Anybody here lost a child or know somebody who's lost a child? You see, there's no guarantee. Parents may go through the heartbreak of losing a child, but at the same time, there's no guarantee that a person who is rebellious will not live to be an old, will not live to be old. God is gracious to whom he is gracious. Anybody remember George Burns? The world is full of many examples of famous people who have lived debauched lives who live into their 80s or 90s. 
sometimes even to 100. Here recently there was somebody who was 100, I don't remember, they were 110 or 111, passed away in England and they had a little interview with them on the TV before they passed away, about four months before they passed away. And they asked him, what do you contribute your long life to? Not one mention of the word God. Their comment was, well, I don't argue with anybody and I drink a small glass of whiskey every day. And that was what they thought kept them alive. Young people, whether you're eight or nine, older folks, whether you are allowed to live to be 80 or 90, the Bible says even our days are numbered just as the hairs on our head are numbered. We are to live in obedience to authority to the government. How can we expect our children to follow authority if we're not following authority? Allowing children to have free reign produces anarchy and rebellion. Anybody here realistically, anybody here ever thought 20 years ago that you would have to fear going to Walmart for fear that you might get shot? It didn't happen. But rebellion says this, we don't believe in the sovereignty of God, we reject his authority and we're going to make life miserable for everybody else. Do you know why young people do this? Do you know why people go into stores and shoot others or take other people's lives? It's because they have no respect for life itself. They have no respect for God. There should be obedience to authority within the church. Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have the rule over you. And this is an aspect of obedience that is lacking today. This doesn't mean again with the authority, whether it's to the government, to the church, that we obey every single thing that is said, especially if it contradicts the scripture. Do you remember what the disciples said? We ought to obey God rather than man. But now, today, if a person doesn't like what they hear in church, with no biblical reason whatsoever, they'll leave the church. And you know, the truth is this. Church hopping happens when people do not want to obey God. You see, each local church manifests Christ on this earth we are a bride in prospect. One day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return for his bride and we will be together in glory. And together we have a solemn responsibility to support our local church with our worship. I want to pause here just for a moment before we go on to the sixth command. I want to encourage you when we come together This little device here, I know it's not electronic. It's got these things called pages in it. And I, and I want to share this with you for a reason. When, when we're coming together and, and we have the opportunity to pick up a hymn book or we have an opportunity to pick up a Bible, if, if there are people sitting next to you, if they don't have a Bible, open the Bible for them. Open the hymn book for them. You know, this is, this is a novel idea to a lot of people today, sometimes even in church. But when we come together, we open the hymn book so that we can 
Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I heard it. Sing. And we open up the word of God. Why do we open up the word of God? Because it's not about Mark's opinion. It's about thus says the word of the Lord. You see, this is, this is the obedience that we are to have to God. Parents, we are to be teaching our children to obey Him, to honor Him, to love Him. And in giving Him honor, we give Him the glory that is due to Him as the supreme majesty of the universe. Sixth command. We won't be on this one for very long. Verse 13, Thou shalt not murder. Perhaps the most well-known of all the commands. I mean, if you ask anybody, you a good person, first thing they'll tell you, Josh, I ain't never murdered anybody. Do you know that every culture that has ever been found or that has ever existed in some way or another has this one command as part of their culture, thou shalt not murder. Where did they get that from? It's... Doesn't, it, it's not evolved. It's created in them by God and they have a conscience not to take the life of another. A lot of people do though. You go to a Stone Age existence where there are tribes, for example, in Papua New Guinea, they still, some of them still live that way. Only a very small percentage of the world even falls into the category of somebody who is killed, whether you have killed for uh, the sake of your country because you have taken up arms. But even more so, the number of people who have actually killed with a clear motive or a premeditated in a premeditated fashion is even smaller. However, Scripture points out the truth and it is much more revealing. This is why I believe it's important to discuss this command. When a person's life is taken, it shocks us. I didn't use it for shock value, but when I shared the illustration of the 12-year-old boy who didn't get a game, so he went, out, he went and killed his mom, I could see the shock on many of your faces that that would actually happen. Right now, there is another boy somewhere over on the East Coast, and some of you may be a little bit more familiar with this, who is 10 years old, who is now on trial for murder as an adult. That should shock us. That should bring pain and heartache to our hearts, recognizing that this could have been somebody that we knew. If murder is closer to home, only then does it seem like we're on our guard. The battle in our soul then becomes a painful reminder of our own depravity and, and wickedness at times before the Lord. Do we have faith in the justice system? Unfortunately, I think a lot of us would say, no, we don't. Until the crime becomes a personal offense against us, our family, or our friends, and then we want to see the full weight of the law to be brought upon the criminal. If you've been following the law here recently or following the news, you will know that it doesn't matter which coast it is or even here in the middle, there are people who are going to prison, three strikes you're out, and while they're out, they're actually allowed to do whatever they want to. And as long as they don't get caught, people live in fear. 
You know why? Because the law has been demeaned to the point where people aren't afraid anymore. But how can we as Christians who claim to believe in the law of God, especially in the matter of not taking another life, and yet hold to the demands, for example, that our military places on our soldiers as being acceptable? Is it possible that when we see the murders of things like 9-11, when there was almost 3,000 people who were killed here in America, that we allow revenge to rise in our hearts? To cast all caution to the wind and then endorse the killing of the enemy? It's easy to do when we're a superior power. And yet what we should be doing is thanking God that by His grace we have been born where we have been born. That we are allowed to live where we live. You see, if it wasn't for the grace of God, God could have allowed us to be born in any country. We could be fighting for something completely different. What about capital punishment? This is something that many people are divided on. Again, until it's personal, then they want the perpetrator hung. Is there any danger of us breaking this command? Why speak of a law this morning that very few people have ever done? But here's the reality. You see, the truth of this law should remind us and drive us to our knees in grateful worship at the mercy of God. You see, the reality is that every one of us have committed murder. What does it not mean? Number one, this verse, thou shalt not murder, does not refer to acts of war. I respect our military, and for those of you who have served, there are a number within our own family who have served. My dad, my wife, three boys. You see, as we learned from Daniel this morning, God sometimes uses and brings justice to the nations by using a military power from somewhere else. That's what happened in the Old Testament. So the command here not to murder cannot refer to times when soldiers are called to battle. Secondly, it doesn't refer to capital punishment. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. Romans chapter 13, verse 4 says, For he bears not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that does evil. There should be laws in place. People should have to pay the penalty for their sin. Thirdly, it does not refer to involuntary manslaughter. Do you remember in the Old Testament what Jesus or what God did for the children of Israel when somebody accidentally killed another? There was something called a city of refuge. And it was a picture of what would happen later when our refuge came in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and he took our penalty upon himself. You see, do you remember what happened if somebody accidentally killed another? They would run to the city of refuge and they had to remain there until who died? The high priest. Today we have a high priest who will never die. 
so we never have to worry about standing in condemnation. The definition of murder here in this passage in Exodus 20 means to dash in pieces. And the word is actually found 40 times throughout the new or throughout the Bible. But listen to what happens in Pentecost when Peter uses a similar word. He paints a violent picture and he says to them, he obviously forgot to read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence Jews, because he looks at them and he says, you crucified the Lamb of Glory. You murdered him. Now, there may have been some very good people standing there, lived good moral lives, never broke any kind of laws whatsoever. But Peter has destroyed that myth. He tells them that the most heinous of all the commands to break, thou shalt not murder, has been placed at the feet of every individual. You not only killed, you killed God himself. There's no more casting blame on the chief priests. There's no more casting blame on the Romans. Each person has to stand to account for their sin. And, and here Jesus defines a true killer. Do you remember when the Pharisees came and they're patting themselves on the back? Yeah, we haven't done that. We haven't done that. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Have you ever hated somebody? Oh yeah, I hate people all the time. And this is what the Pharisees are thinking. And as Jesus is standing there talking with them, he says, it doesn't matter whether you've actually picked up a sword or a knife and killed somebody. It matters whether you have hated them. And if you have hated them, it's just the same as if you have committed the actual murder. The Pharisees must have been shocked. You see, the act of hatred, though, shows the true intentions of the heart. Our heart reveals what is true about us. If you have ever hated another person, you are guilty of the same as murder. Hatred against another person not only shows the depravity of, their heart, of our hearts, but it actually shows a hatred against the one who created that other individual. And what we're saying when we hate somebody is, God made a mistake in making that person. You may say, well, you don't know what that person has done to me. You don't know what that person said. No, I don't, but God does. Hatred reveals our perspective on God's creation. And I want to share with you just briefly the ultimate murder. The ultimate murder that was a complete violation of Exodus chapter 20 when Moses wrote this law down at the command of God, he could have had no idea what was going to be coming almost 2,000 years in the future. What could possibly be worse though than taking a life? As we began the, in our prayer this morning, 2,000 years ago, God himself, though, took on human flesh. And he came to die. He knew because of our sins that there was a wide gulf that was separating us from God. We, we, couldn't, we couldn't get to him. 
a mediator had to be willing to come and bear the penalty of God's wrath. Not just a part of his wrath, but all of God's wrath. And while it is true that God, Jesus Christ himself, willingly laid down his life, there is a sense in you and I this morning that we need to recognize, and that is that in the cross of Christ, we also were present. You see, when you look at that cross on the wall behind me, that's a rough-hewn cross. But you know what it should remind you and I of? That it was our sin. It was my sin that made Jesus go to the cross. You see, you, you can't look at somebody else. You can't look at all the Hitlers or the Stalins or the Mussolinis in the world who have ever existed and say, well, yeah, I can understand why God would have to die for their sin. No, you have to put blinders on from the word of God, look at that cross and say, thank you, God, that you went to that cross for me. the only sin you ever committed in your entire life was a lie, Jesus Christ would still have had to go to the cross to atone for the wrath of God for you. You see, this, this Christmas time, Christmas is personal. The gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's personally for you. I can't accept Christ on your behalf, or I would. I can't accept Christ for my children. You can't accept Christ for your children. And in this ultimate murder, we see an act of war. The Jews, and if we would have been there, we would have done so as well. We would have stood silent as the Lamb of God went to the slaughter. And as humanity declared war against the almighty God of the universe. The ultimate murder was an act of capital punishment. The Jews couldn't enforce it, so the Romans did. But they talked to Pilate and insisted, you're no friend of Rome if you don't do what we want you to do. And Pilate bowed to their wishes. It was an act of involuntary manslaughter. You see, the, the prisoners who were released, I'm sure that Barabbas made no, no bones about it. As soon as he was released, he was probably heading for the hills. But I can't help but wonder if Barabbas looked over his shoulder on his way out of Jerusalem and looked to the cross, to the person who took his place that he rightfully belonged. You see, Barabbas was just as guilty. Although he had been freed by the law, he was still guilty of his crimes, and more importantly, he was guilty of crimes against the Creator. Finally, it was an act of killing. In Stephen's sermon, the first martyr of the church in Acts chapter 6, he also takes a page out of Peter's book and he looks at the religious leaders and he says, you are all murderers. The word that is used by, by, by Stephen in this passage is an actual, it's used in a criminal sense and only in a criminal sense and it means an intentional homicide. It was the cold-blooded murder of God the Son. 
Is there any reason? I mean, if you can imagine Stephen standing up there in front of the religious crowd and he says, you intentionally murdered God the Son in cold blood. The Bible says that they were so angry they actually went up to him and bit on him with their teeth. But it's an act of killing, firstly, by every person. Our sin condemns us. There is no reason why God should love us. There's no reason why God should show us mercy. There's no reason why God should not condemn you and I to hell immediately. There's no reason why he should pour out his grace upon us. But do you remember the words of the hymn? Amazing love, how can it be? that thou, my God, wouldst die for me. And finally, it was an act of killing by God himself, by God the Father. The scriptures are clear that it pleased God to bruise his own son, to put him to death. If we use the word which literally means to dash to pieces, this is exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. His body was torn and yet he was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. From a human perspective, we can see the agony in Gethsemane. We see the agony on Calvary's horror when even the sun hid its face at the terror that came from seeing the Son of God die. but the Father allowed it to take place. Why? Because he set his eternal love upon everyone who had ever come to believe in him. If you're saved this morning, you receive the greatest Christmas gift that you could ever have in Jesus Christ. Before time began, the plan was put in motion. The only plan that would allow his wrath against sinful man to be taken care of. And it was either going to be taken care of by you and I, or it was going to be taken care of in full by Jesus Christ. Which is why we sing the words of the hymn, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That this morning, my friends, is the wonder of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we have two of our folks here who are going to go through the waters of baptism today. Not for the purpose of salvation, but as a reminder to them, to the world, to us as believers that they have been forgiven, forgiven of their sin, that there is no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. May this serve as a beautiful picture, a beautiful reminder to us of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. And if there is someone here again who does not know you, I pray that the gospel message has resonated in every word of this message today. So we ponder the commands of God to realize that we have broken them. And if we've broken one, we've broken them all. 
but yet you forgive from the uttermost to the guttermost. Thank you, Father, for today. In your name we pray. Amen.